than to hear that his children follow the truth. Father, that is our heart today. Great joy among your people, parents, sponsors, loved ones, as our children have decided to follow the truth. Lord, I pray that uh, what these young people have done today would be implanted on their hearts, heart for your glory. And Father, I just want to thank you that um, we are one expression of the great church of Jesus Christ that takes your word and following you very seriously. And I want to thank you, Father, for every parent, every teenager, every youth coach, Pastor Brian, everyone, Lord, as we have celebrated this great commitment. Now, Lord, we're going to open your word. And as we open your word, we ask that you would bring us light and understanding. But more than that, Lord, we would ask that you would take us one step closer to Jesus. Help us to understand what your word has to say about angels. And, well, quite simply, what does that have to do with us? So, Father, minister to us today through your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Sherry wished that she could have been here today to experience this uh, vow of purity. She's in Portland uh, this week, uh, spending that time with our daughter, Tammy, and her two little boys, uh, and uh, Tammy's expecting her third, a little girl, in July. So she was there for the baby shower for Mother's Day. So um, once again, I just want to say to each of you ladies, uh, happy Mother's Day. We honor you. You truly are the soul of humanity, and we honor you. I also wanted to mention one other thing. Um, we have a, a young woman who's been in our church for several months now. Her name is Corey Gustafson. And Corey, if you're, I think you're out there. If you're there, stand. Wave your hand. Uh, Corey is um, going to, starting in June, she is going to be the interim associate pastor for our church. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Corey has a uh, seminary degree from Regent College, and uh, she's worked in ministry. She is in the process of being licensed in the Evangelical Covenant Church, and uh, June and July is available to her. She starts her uh, ministry at the hospital as a chaplain in August, but for June and July, she'll be ministering to us. And uh, I wanted to say that because I'm going to install her on May 29th, but uh, next Sunday she'll be preaching. And um, one of the things that we value highly in our church, our denomination, is women in ministry. And uh, it's not often that you see a woman preaching, but it's not that we don't believe in it. We do. And Corey will be bringing. And I gave her a really easy assignment. She's doing a next week of fallen angels. So you get, she has to do the demons and all that good stuff. Actually, that's a pretty good gig. That's kind of fun. You know, you can have all kinds of pictures and stuff. But um, so uh, give her your best attention. The men, many men will be gone to retreat. But gals, be sure and come and bring your friends. And Corey will bring next week the word of God. So uh, let me begin this morning by sharing with you uh, from uh, Billy Graham's book entitled Angels, God's Secret Agents. He wrote about a very famous missionary, John G. Patton who was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands back in the 1860s. And this is what uh, Graham wrote about Patton. 
Hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night, intent on burning the patents out of uh, burning the patents out and killing them. John Patton and his wife prayed all during that terror filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see the attackers unaccountably leave. They thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of the tribe gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, why, it was those men who were surrounding the missionary compound. Patton said, what men? There were no men, just my wife and I. The chief argued that there had been many men standing guard, hundreds of large men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. The chief agreed that there was no other explanation. Could it be that God had sent a legion of angels to protect his servants whose lives were being endangered? Now, lest you might think that this is just a figment of the chief's imagination, every one of his village that was ready to attack saw the same shining soldiers. Is that what angels do? Are angels here to protect us? Now, in this case, certainly, that's exactly what happened. But is that the ministry, is that the job of angels in our world today? In some times, in some cases, in certain circumstances, that is the case. But that's not the particularly main or most important mission of angels. This morning I want to look, and Pastor David uh, set this series up really well last week in his introduction. But today I want to uh, go beyond the overview of the introduction And point to higher ground, where the terrain is firm and the view is spectacular. The truth is found in God's word about angels. Now, the Bible doesn't answer all the questions about angels because, quite honestly, they're simply implied. It doesn't try and teach you necessarily about angels, but we can glean a lot of information from seeing what God's word has to say about it. The truth is found in God's word. And this morning I would like to look and... Discover what are the jobs or the ministries that angels have in our world today. Now, you may be surprised by this teaching, and certainly we will look at the world's view of angels that uh, doesn't quite align with Scripture. We've all heard of those stories, right? Like one woman in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, She claims to have a remarkable gift. If you tell her your full name, She will go into meditation, focus on a candle, and have a vision of your guardian angel. She will get a message and even sketch a picture of the angel. And all of that is yours to keep for 200 bucks a pop. Why didn't I think of that? I mean, I could have thought of Starbucks coffee or that. Either one's going to make you a lot of money. But... All that does is show that in our world, we're very unsophisticated when it comes to angels. We don't know a lot about it. There's really no truth in that kind of thing. And no wonder that for many centuries, Christian theology basically has passed over the doctrine of angelology in embarrassed silence. Theologian Karl Barth said this, 
Angels are not desired in dogmatics, he said. But a kind of internment camp or nursery is opened for them in which they are tolerated. So for children and, and maybe for weird people, they're okay. But for most of us, we don't talk about it. But this morning, I would like to look for a few moments at the facts. Uh, separate them from the fantasies and the fanaticism and look at the facts. And I believe if we do that from God's word, we will land in a place where we say, my faith has increased today. So that's what I'll look at today. So the first purpose or ministry of angels is this. And this is the most important and the most frequent ministry of angels. And that is the ministry of being a messenger, a messenger. Their primary responsibility is not protection or provision, but a messenger. The word angels comes from the Greek word angelos, which means angels. The Hebrew word malak, which also means messenger. And this ministry of being a messenger is seen most colorfully in the most celebrated event in the Bible, right? And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, the angel Gabriel, which we know to be an archangel, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to tell about, to tell uh, his wife Elizabeth uh, would bear a son, his name would be John the Baptist, and he would be the forebear to Jesus. Now, when... Zacharias uh, doubted Gabriel. He was struck mute. And that immediately tells you, uh, you know, don't mess with an archangel. Uh, You know those commercials on TV? Don't mess with Sasquatch. I like those. Don't mess with an archangel either. Okay. so so uh, next Gabriel went to Nazareth to tell Mary, this 14, 15 year old girl, that though she was a virgin, she would bear a son and call his name Jesus. That's all. All this is, by the way, in, in Luke chapter one and Matthew. Uh, Next up, Joseph, who is betrothed now to Mary, Um, an anonymous angel comes to Joseph. By the way, almost all angels in the Bible are anonymous. They don't have names. There's a few. Michael, Gabriel, uh, Morningstar, there's a few, but not a lot. Most of them are anonymous. And uh, this angel told him about Mary in a dream, told Joseph about Mary in a dream so that he would believe. That's in Matthew 1. Next came the actual birth of Jesus. And a whole chorus of angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke 2, 8 to 15. And then later there was another dream for Joseph and an angel appeared and told him, Herod is seeking to kill Jesus, so go to Egypt and stay there until the angel again told him it was safe a couple of years to go back to Nazareth. Now, all of that took place in that very short period of time, the birth of Jesus. So angels appeared a lot then. Now, this was just during Jesus' birth. The Bible describes other angel announcements. The first significant Gentile conversion to Christianity occurred after an angel encounter. An angel told a Roman uh, centurion, Cornelius by name, to uh, send for Simon Peter and listen to his message. This is fine in Acts chapter 10. And this Roman centurion, Cornelius, uh, listened to the message of Peter and he gave his heart to Christ. The first Gentile conversion to Christianity. Then in the Old Testament, Genesis 16, an angel found the runaway slave Hagar in the desert and told her to go home and promised to her that her son Ishmael would become a great nation, which we know he did. Not always the best nation. (laughs) That's kind of the forebears of the Arab nations, but they would become a great nation. And then in Numbers 22, uh, the great story of Balaam, the prophet, 
while he was on a, a journey to deliver curses against Israel, he found his road blocked by an angel. Remember that story? Uh, he could not see the angel, but his donkey could. And uh, the donkey refused to budge. Finally, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes so that he could at least be as spiritually alert and sensitive as his donkey. So that's a good lesson there. Uh, pay attention if your donkey speaks. Um, now, there's many other angel messengers uh, in the Bible. But, but what, what's the important thing that we can glean from this? The first thing is this. And really, this is the overarching thing that I'd like you to hear today. Angels appear most frequently and most often in times of redemptive history. In times when something cataclysmic happens in this world that moves us closer and closer to redemption. Remember, the purpose of of everything that we're doing, the purpose of everything that we see in God's economy is to one day make a new heaven and a new earth. To make all of us, he says, I want all of you to be new. All things will become new. So everything is moving towards that idea of making all things new. But if you look at those moments in redemptive history where angels showed up, the Garden of Eden. Here's the the birthplace of man and the birthplace of the message of salvation. Jesus Christ, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In God's eyes, in God's mind, uh, because he created man with a free will, he knew that there would have to be a time of redeeming love. And there was. And so we see angels in the Garden of Eden. And there's different places in the Old Testament. The next time we see a a flurry of angels is in Matthew chapter 1. So the next step, thousands of years later, after man was created, now we step into this idea of the birth of Christ. This moment in redemptive history changed everything. In the Old Testament, everything was looking forward to Jesus. That's why all the blood sacrifices, that's why all of those things took place, to put a type or a a, 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 a heart set in mind that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. So everything is moving this way. This moment of redemptive history, everything that we appear in the last 2,000 years, we're looking back at the cross. But that moment in redemptive history, angels were everywhere. Singing in the heavens, meeting with Joseph and Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth. And everybody was seeing angels and it was all. And then, guess what? After Pentecost and after the church was established, we see some sightings of angels in the book of Acts, of course. But then they're almost silent again. Two thousand years later, the next and most important event in redemptive history. After Jesus Christ was born, after he lived on this earth, after he died for us on the cross, after he was resurrected from the death, angels all over that. The next point in redemptive history is 2,000 years later, or that brings us to today. Now, is today, now there's a weirdo out there, if you've listened to family radio, you know, you've seen the vans go by, that uh, the end of the world, Jesus Christ returning when? May 21st. There was an article in yesterday, uh, yesterday's paper about it. It was catching up to the news. And uh, this is a guy in Los Angeles that's been preaching for many years. Anyway, but the idea is that we know the next major act in redemptive history is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. It won't be May 21st, because we don't know the day, day or the time. Maybe May 20th. <laughs> Maybe now. But it won't be May 21st, so you can relax that day. And um, anyway, so, so here's the next point in redemptive history. And guess what? All through Revelation, what do we see? Angels. 
everywhere. Because it's describing the end of the world, Armageddon, the second coming of Christ, the 1,000 year reign, and ultimately heaven and earth all made new. Angels are all over that. So every time you see angels, it's around the work. The most important work is that of redemption. Now when I say redemption, I've used that word a lot. It means to redeem. When God redeemed us by dying on the cross for our sins, first of all, he created us. So we belong to him. But secondly, he bought us back. And that's what redemption means to buy us back. He bought us back with the blood of his son, Jesus, on the cross. We are redeemed when we allow Jesus Christ to come in and be the Lord and Savior of our lives. So that next redemptive act, we're going to see angels everywhere. It's going to be amazing. So if you see an angel... Tell me about it, because it may mean that things are kind of cranking up for the end times. Because, believe me, when you look at Revelation, there are angels everywhere. Now, there's another reason that this angel as messenger passage really matters, is that uh, these angels may appear as a dream or a vision. And usually when they do, there is something that is said initially by them, and that something is fear not. In other words, like these natives in New Hebrides Island that were going to attack John G. Patton's uh, missionary compound. They saw these huge, large visages, these men with swords drawn, and um, fear not. And also we know that in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, it talks about the mighty angels of God. That word mighty, it comes from the Greek word that means dynamite. When angels are around, something is about to happen big. There's some explosion. Something is going to take place. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, the creation of man. Something big is going to happen. The mighty angels of God. Powerful messages of God. Um, 1983. I am uh, preaching. It's a Sunday morning. Uh, My father has been struggling with lung cancer for three years. Uh, He's getting weaker uh, the doctor said that he only has about six weeks to maybe three months to live. Uh, but he was in the hospital. My mom was there with him on a Sunday morning. And um, I was preaching that morning. And uh, the chairman of our church, it's before cell phones, but the chairman of our church received a phone call in the office. And he came up and interrupted me in my sermon. It was about 1130 in the morning, Sunday morning, and said, um, your mom needs you at the hospital. Go immediately to Grossmont Hospital. So I did. And when I got there a few minutes later, Sherry and I, uh, my father had uh, passed away. Totally surprised. Now, we knew he was going to die unless God intervened in a miraculous act of healing. We knew he was going to die, but we didn't expect it then. I mean, we thought there'd be six weeks or three months, or, but, but he passed away that day. And so I spent that uh, day with my mom at the hospital, and she was, of course, terribly uh, broken. And uh, we late in the afternoon, I finally took her home. And my mom and dad lived in one house, and next door was my grandmother uh, who lived there, my mother's mother. My grandfather was a carpenter, had built both houses back in the 1930s, but grandma had been there all day, and of course hadn't heard anything uh, from anyone. And I said, Mom, let's go over and tell grandma. She's in her, at the time, she was in her 80s, she was older, and we need to tell her what happened. So we walked over there, and we walked into grandma's room. She was laying on her bed resting, and she said, uh, Tommy's with Jesus. And I said, say what? <laughs> Tommy was with Jesus. Um, earlier today, an angel appeared to me and told me that Jesus was going to take Tommy, that was my dad, to heaven today. And so I know that he's with Jesus. And I said, Grandma, when did that happen? She said, it was 1130. I just awakened from a morning nap and I looked at the clock and there was an angel. And an angel told me that 
Tommy is going to heaven. A message. A message from my, from my grandmother. A message from my mother as well. Tommy is going to heaven. Now, this is the most important and most all-encompassing ministry of angels is that of a messenger. But there's some other things, and let me mention a couple of them quickly. Uh, angels can also provide and protect. We saw that with jo- John G. Patton. But in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, the prophet Elijah found himself running from Jezebel and without food. If Jezebel was in your life, you'd be running too. And uh, running with, from Jezebel without food, he was taking a nap and he was awakened by an angel and the angel prepared him a meal. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Never happened to me, but that'd be pretty cool. Then in Daniel 3, the episode of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were expected to become instant toast. They were thrown into the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar wanted to see how well done they were. He poked his head into the furnace and he saw what? A fourth, right, that looked like a god. Now, theologians say that was either an angel or a Christophanes. A Christophanes is a theological term, pre-existent, pre-existent incarnation of Jesus. But the bottom line is there was a fourth in there, an angel, in with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and protected them. And then years later in Daniel, when he was in the lion's den, uh, my God sent uh, this amazing angel, Daniel wrote, and shut the lion's mouth, Daniel 6.22. And jail breaks, jail breaks shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Listen to this one. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. The angel said, go and tell the people of this message, of this new life. And then in Acts chapter 12, we read another story. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, he's bound to these soldiers, right? Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, If an angel wakes you up, wake up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Very wise to do what you're told. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing or what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through when they had walked the length of one street. Suddenly, the angel left him. Now, a note here. It's really important to remember. Um, Once in a while, an angel shows up and does something like this with John G. Patton, with Peter, with others. There's about four times in the New Testament where this happens, not thousands of times, four times that we know of. We've heard of other stories, but recognize this, that the time that God shows up to protect somebody or to keep them from harm, it always has to do with the redemptive nature of God. He doesn't just show up to fix your corn with an angel or to help you make more money with an angel. It doesn't do that. These angels, when they show up, it's always for a redemptive purpose. 
It's always for a purpose that someone is about ready to know Christ. Now, for instance, Peter, before all of this, went to Pentecost and he preached powerfully on that day. 3,000 people came to Christ. God says, I need this man in service. So I'm going to get him out of this prison. And so he sent an angel to do that work. There's another thing that the angels do. And it's this. Angels take part in the final judgment. Now, this is not very much fun, but listen to this passage from Matthew 13. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who hears, who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Now, if you've never seen an angel before and all of a sudden you see an angel, better get your heart right with God because their job during the judgment is a very terrifying job. The most dramatic examples come from the book of Revelation of judgment. In Revelation, uh, the trumpets are sounded and it signals the wrath of God. Revelation 15 and 16, uh, God pours out plagues on the earth and he uses angels to do this. But the greatest single act of angels from now until all eternity is their exaltation and worship of the Lamb of God. Angels rejoice in God's redemptive plan. If you remember nothing else today, please remember this. Angels rejoice in God's redemptive plan. When an angel shows up, it's because somebody needs Jesus. When an angel shows up, it's not to make your life better. It's not to uh, give, have you a guardian angel. It's not to do something wonderful so you can have a better life on earth. When an angel shows up, it's about God's redemptive plan. Luke chapter 15. The parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin. The parable of the lost son. The prodigal son. At the end of all these things, God says, how much... Lost people matter to him. They matter to me. They matter to me. And he says that three different times in three different parables. People that don't know Jesus, they matter to me so much I sent Jesus to die on the cross. They matter to me. Then listen to chapter, after those three parables, chapter 15, verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Easter Sunday. Close of the service. People, many people from all over raise their hands to pray to receive Christ. At that moment, at that moment, the angels that have been around for eons, for millennia, were singing praises to God. Several weeks ago, Pastor Barb in her class, one of the classes she was teaching, the fourth and fifth graders, Five of those children prayed to receive Christ. At that moment, the angels in heaven were singing praises and rejoicing. In the last several weeks, two people from uh, Jacob's Journey House, uh, two men, have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And these men, when they said yes to God, the angels in heaven rejoiced. We can get caught up in this idea that... um, about guardian angels and an angels watching out over me and all of those things. But when you see the consistent, profound message of Scripture, angels are here to bring a message, and the message is always the same. God loves you so much. 
He died for you on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The ministry of angels, yes, they are messengers. Yes, there are times they protect. Yes, they will be, take part in judgment of God. But more than anything else, the ministry of angels is about God's redemptive plan to save you, to save me, to save the world. Let us pray. Lord, I I just pray now that uh, this encouraging word would just be in us. Lord, if we want to see an angel, (laughs) it's real simple. Give us the opportunity to lead someone to Christ. Give us an opportunity, Lord, to hear those angels sing praises to God for all eternity. As it says in the book of Revelation that all of the people from all time, plus all of the angels, plus the 24 elders of all time, all of these people stand before the throne of God and sing out with all their hearts, worthy is the Lamb of God who is slain. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Father, what an amazing task you have for us for all eternity to be part of that redemptive history and to sing praises to our holy God. Father, bless us with this word, we pray in your precious name. Amen.